JT Poston, the winner of the 2019 Wyndham Championship, going to join the show 15 minutes from now. But right now, we've actually got some college basketball news to get to. Given the way Wake Forest got snubbed in the spring, there might not be, at least in the ACC, a more highly anticipated non-conference schedule drop than that of the Deeks. And that came down today. The big goal for Steve Forbes, for Frank Davis, the director of basketball operations, for John Curry and the Deeks, is to up that out-of-conference schedule, to enhance it, to make it a little bit more impressive so it doesn't hurt you when you get to NCAA basketball tournament committee resume comparison time. And it seems, just looking at the schedule right now, mission accomplished for the Deeks. Steve Forbes succeeded in improving Wake's non-conference schedule. Here's what we got. He wanted to add more high-major opponents. In addition to Wisconsin being an opponent in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, Wake Forest will play LSU and Georgia and Rutgers and Georgetown. Also, Utah Valley, a sneaky good game and an interesting one. It's going to be at the Joel. They were a top 120 team in the net last year. So they've bolstered things relative to the non-conference schedules we've seen the last handful of years in Winston-Salem. But here's where it actually becomes a bigger win for Wake. Wake doesn't have to play a ton of road games to accomplish this goal. They only got one true road game. It's at Rutgers. Unless he counts the Wisconsin game, which I don't because that's not up to the Deeks. Television picks who plays whom in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So you go to Wisconsin, you go to Rutgers, that's the only true road game that Wake Forest scheduled, and they get Georgia to come to Winston-Salem. We'll see how many of these are one-for-one trades, whether or not Rutgers will be coming to Winston-Salem next year or Wake's going to have to go to Athens in 23-24, but it's a nice-looking schedule. The other high-major games... They're going to be played in neutral sites, LSU and Georgetown. And don't look now, basketball season, it really isn't that far off, as far off as you would think. Right now, Wake Forest is in Europe. They're going to play four basketball games in four different European countries over the next 10 days. They're going to be in London. They're going to be in Paris. They're going to be in Amsterdam. They're going to visit Normandy, a great opportunity for the Deeks to take a trip. It's going to be an intriguing basketball season for Wake Forest to prove that last year wasn't a fluke. And they've got a non-conference schedule that's going to test them, which is exactly what Steve Forbes wanted. Got this news in the morning because I wasn't up late enough to read about it live, but... The great broadcaster Vin Scully died at the age of 94 yesterday. Now, I hear a lot of people talking about it and saying things that, you know, it won't be that original for me to say again. So rather than going long form about what Vin Scully meant to the Dodgers and sports and broadcasting and all the people he's inspired including WD and myself, I actually want to play a clip that I think could best explain 
how great he was. This clip we got here is from the later days of his career. Like, this was circa 2014, 2015, 2016. 2016 was his last year. He's in his mid-80s at this point. He's been broadcasting for over 60 years. We've all heard the example of the guy who stuck around for way too long, can't see anything anymore. The broadcast completely falls off. It almost becomes unwatchable or unlistenable, but you put up with it because of the nostalgia and that guy's been there forever. That never happened to Vin. The quality was always top-notch. He was so sharp. Just listen to how sharp he was and the way... This is what I think he did better than anybody I've ever heard in broadcasting. His ability to tell stories is remarkable. Not just his delivery, which of course is unbelievable. Not just the stories he's able to find given his prep, but I'm talking about the sheer ability to work a story into actual play-by-play during a game. Nobody before or after Vince Gully did it as well as he did. And I think this is a really good example of that. Usually we don't play clips this long, but I wanted to pay tribute to Vince Gully by just playing some Vince Gully, and we can all enjoy it together. You know, Bumgarner tells a story which, in a sense, reminds you of what it takes to be a big league ball player. It's two years ago in spring training. And he and his wife were roping cattle, which is what they do. One one pitch, sinker low, ball two, two and one. And they were startled by a large snake. And Madison thought it was a rattlesnake, so he grabbed an axe and he hacked the snake to pieces. But there's something more to the story. Two one pitch, low, ball three, three and one. When his wife Allie and an expert field dresser examined what was left of the snake, she found two baby jackrabbits inside pieces of the snake and extracted them. 3-1 pitch to Turner way inside ball four. And after she extracted them a short while later, the Bumgarners noticed that one of the rabbits had moved slightly. It was alive. Well, his wife brought the rabbit back to their apartment for the next few days, they kept it warm, bottle nursed it, and the rabbit soon was healthy enough that they released it into the wild. And Madison said, just think about how tough that rabbit was. First it gets eaten by a snake, then the snake gets chopped to pieces, then it gets picked up by people and lives. It's all true. Meanwhile, line drive base hit to center by Hendrick, and the Dodgers are in business, first and second and nobody out. So I guess really the morale of the whole story about the rabbit and the snake, you've got to somehow survive. You've got to somehow battle back. A lesson well taught for all of us. So good. Will Dalton, you've done more play-by-play than I have, particularly in baseball. What do you think of when you hear that clip? I mean, it's just, it's just crazy how seamless... He's, he's full-on telling you a story mm-hmm. and just seamless, a little outside, 3-1. Like, it, there, there's no pause. There's Never no, rushes it either. No. Oh, here comes a base hit. You hear the crack of the bat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Dodgers in business. Kendrick got a hit. Here's the moral of that story, though. 
Well, and to me, that just it's so ingrained. Calling a game is so ingrained into his DNA at that point. It's just he could be talking about anything and still be calling that game. Ben Scully passing away at the age of 94 years old after 67 years as the voice of the L.A. Dodgers. I mean, that's some people's life. Jackie Robinson was <laughs> on the team when he started. He ice skated with Jackie in Brooklyn. That's insane. No, it, it's, it really is. But the quality of work, that's the stuff that still gets me most. What he was talking about, who he was talking about, was Madison Bumgarner. He's from right up the road in Hickory, North Carolina, as is 2019 Wyndham champion JT Poston, who's going to join this show from Sedgefield next on The Drive. Check this out. We're on at five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with The Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. The Wyndham Championship opens up tomorrow morning, and we're being joined by one of the five North Carolinians to ever win the Wyndham Championship, the 2019 Wyndham Champ. JT Poston is joining us now. Okay, so you're a North Carolinian. You're a champion at Sedgefield. Give me a sense of what your level of comfort at this golf course is. Oh, it's it's. It's pretty high. I mean, being a North Carolina guy, it's close to home. It's an hour and a half from where I grew up. Um, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of uh, friends, family, college teammates, everybody showing up and supporting. So it's it's always a fun week. And as far as the golf course goes, it's it's always in great shape and something that's very similar to what I grew up playing on. And um, I'm very familiar with the Bermuda grass and Bermuda green. So um, comfort levels high and just looking forward to the week hour and a half from hickory how quickly are you riding on the highways jt <laughs> i mean it's I, i've timed it i did it earlier this week i was in hickory and it took me right at an hour and a half so maybe i'm only speeding a little bit but not too fast <laughs> that's the hometown of what i believe to be the modern day sports paul bunyan madison bumgarner is that the guy that gets brought up to you most when you mention where you're from yeah, I get I get Madison Bumgarner a lot, and I've actually never met him, but um, he's definitely a, a Hickory legend and a, and a guy that um, a lot of people follow uh, from Hickory, and and he's still out there doing a lot of great things. And I think he's still last I heard, he still might have he still has a place in Hickory, or still spends a good bit of time there, or lives there part time. I'm not really sure, but um, yeah, he's a he's a legend in Hickory. It's JT Poston who's turning into a Hickory legend joining us. He is getting set for the Wyndham Championship, and you're in quite a group. You're with Will Zalatoris and Sung J M, uh, two of the best golfers in the world and champions in their own right, just like you are here at the Wyndham. When you're, how well do you know those guys? The group that you're playing in. Uh, you know, I mean, I know them relatively well. I've played golf with both of them a decent bit um, in other tournaments and stuff, and so I've gotten to know them a little bit, but um, don't really know them that well on a personal level or outside of the golf world. So, um, but yeah, they're they're good guys. It'll be a fun group. They're great players, great ball strikers. So it'll be fun to kind of kind of be right there and and right there in the mix and 
seeing it firsthand. Have you ever asked Will or Cam Young what they put in the water in Winston-Salem? What's happened with these Wake Forest guys? <laughs> I have not, but that's probably a good question I can ask Will tomorrow when, we, when we're walking down <laughs> one of the fairways. Just see what what's the difference between between that and everywhere else because they're doing something something right that nobody else is doing. What are the holes that concern you most at Sedgefield? I'm sorry, say that again. What are the holes that concern you most at Sedgefield? Um, you know, I don't know if there's any that are con- really concerning, but there's just you definitely got to take advantage of of the par fives and get the ball in the fairway and make your birdies and eagles there um, when you get the chances. And um, really, as far as the other holes go, just hit hit a bunch of fairways, hit a bunch of greens, make a bunch of putts. Sounds cliche, but that's the truth. Help me out on this. JT Poston, last thing for him joining us. He is a Hickory native. He is a Western Carolina grad. Growing up in Hickory, what was your sports connection? Like, who were the teams you rooted for growing up? I was always a big Tar Heel fan. So I grew up playing basketball, baseball, um, tennis, golf. And so I grew up a big, big Tar Heel fan, uh, Panthers fan, and a Braves fan. So. Um, I was awesome to watch the Braves win the World Series last year. I still follow them pretty closely, and same same goes for uh, UNC basketball. I'm a diehard Tar Heel, so okay. anytime watching them watching them win, beat Duke in the Final Four game, send Coach K off, then couldn't dream of a better way to send him off. Yeah, I was eight rows off of the floor watching that Duke uh, Carolina game. I was at all three of them this past year. Uh, where were you? Paint the picture. Where was JT Poston watching that Final Four game? I was in San Antonio playing um, playing the event there that week. But we had a we had a big group that was in a bar watching the game um, <laughs> late that night, and man, it was it was so awesome. I watched every minute of it. Some of the guys retired after the first half, but there were there were a handful of us that stuck around and watched the whole thing. And it was, I mean, it. It was amazing. Are you a Jersey guy? You got Carolina jerseys, um, Panthers jerseys. What are you rocking? I don't. I don't have a jersey. The only jersey I have is a Braves jersey, and I and I made a bet with Max Homa that if the Braves beat the Dodgers last year, then uh, the loser would have to wear the winner's team's jersey oh. at at Waste Management. So he got my one Braves jersey uh, in Phoenix this year, and then he signed it and threw it in the crowd. So I'm jerseyless at the moment, but I think he's. I think he's going to pay me back and get me an, get me another one here sometime soon. Okay, then I got to ask on the way out. I asked you about the win against Duke, the night that the Braves win the World Series. Are you somebody that gets moved the tears by sports when things happen? Uh, not really, at least not to this point, but I was pretty ecstatic, pretty happy. I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the Game 6 NLCS when they clinched the World Series berth, and um, that was something I'll never forget. My fiance got us tickets, and it was amazing to be there in person. But um, as far as World Series, I don't even really remember where I was, but um, I remember watching it and watching them clinch, and it was it was amazing. JT Poston, it was amazing watching what you did a few years back in the Wyndham Championship in 2019, edging out the likes of Webb Simpson, another one of those Wake Forest guys. Really, what do they put in the water? <laughs> best, of, best of luck uh, this week. We look forward to watching you alongside Sung Jay and Zalatoris tomorrow. Thanks for the time. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You got it.
This is it. You ready? All right, hold on. All right, do it, do it. All right, listen up. It's The Drive with Josh Graham. I found the Bryson DeChambeau clip. I'm sending it to you right now, WD. Because when you think of beefy Bryson, what's the perception of Bryson on tour, WD? That he's kind of a jerk. A jerk, already a bit of a black cat. His reputation not going to be hurt all that much by going to live golf. Which is why I found it funny that Bryson pointed out, oh man, it was an easy decision for me because I have such a great relationship with my sponsors and I knew I wasn't going to lose them. Yeah, you weren't going to lose them because they already know you're a jerk. People already don't like you, so go to live golf. It's not really going to hurt your reputation all that much. He was sitting down with Tucker Carlson, who also sat down with Greg Norman earlier in the week, Trump Bedminster in New Jersey where the event was held last week. Charles Barkley was part of that Pro-Am as well. Today's the Pro-Am for the Windham Championship, and I'll get to some of the picks I have for that tournament in just a bit. Weekly positivity, nearly 10 minutes away. But the other perception about Bryson on tour is he's not really that bright of a guy, which is why it was funny to me. No, it was hilarious. Listening to Bryson sit down for 10 minutes, and among the things he talked about, was science. Oh, big science guy. The way he was painted is as if he was some kind of a golf genius to the point you better watch out for Bryson if he shows up at a casino because he could bankrupt your casino if he wanted to. This is a clip from, uh, again, Fox News last night where Bryson was being in, uh, interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Get, I, I know on average what a 2% slope looks like, a 3% slope looks like. It's not me doing math in my head. I just have memorized all the numbers. Do you count cards in blackjack? Uh, no, I could, but I don't want to go down that route, road. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> That's totally fair. But in golf, you're allowed to do this. Correct. I'm trying to find a distinct advantage to help benefit the game of golf in a positive way and help my life out in, in, the, most, in the best way possible. You hear this, Tucker? I could count cards if I was in Vegas. You watch Zach Galifianakis in The Hangover? That's me. Uh-huh. I'm a one-man wolf pack. I can, I can count cards, Tucker. That's what I can do. I could do it if I wanted to. Bryson DeChambeau. The news that WD shared with us in the Big Four was that he's part of a lawsuit. With the PGA not allowing them to play as independent contractors if they're a part of live, antitrust, monopoly type stuff. I think they actually have a legitimate case. But Beefy Bryson, probably not the best spokesman for the legal side of things. And the case in point example of him not being the greatest spokesman was the analogy he chose to go with here for why this is a problem why the PGA Tour is wronging the live golfers. No, I think it'll get figured out. And then I personally know that it will get figured out, whether it's legally or whether they come to the table and, and work out terms. I definitely think it'll it'll all wash itself out in the future uh, pretty shortly. Um, but it's funny. It's, it's, it's so weird because it's like 
let's use this as a, as a reference. I heard this earlier this week. You have a pizza shop that's been in existence for 50 years, and all the customers go to it, it's a great product. All of a sudden, a new pizza shop opens up, right? And they start paying the customers to come eat at their place. And that pizza's potentially a little bit better of a, of a pizza, right? And then all of a sudden, that ori original pizza house goes, if you go over there, we're banning you from ever coming back to our you know, pizza shop. What's wrong with that economic model? Oh, profound. Bryson. Channeling his inner sports talk radio host, making some analogies. Here's one key problem with the analogy, though. In his analogy, WD, the PGA Tour or the golfers themselves are the customers? Huh? What pizza shop pays you to go to their pizza shop? None that I've I'd heard I'd love about. to find that pizza me, shop. Me Does too. Mario's Pizza down the road in Kernersville pay it? Have $425 million purses? I wish. That was a big slice over there. Yeah. Is that, is that what we're talking about? <laughs> I get it. You're not an employee, per se, from the PGA Tour, the way that you are at the other pizza shop at Live Golf. So maybe, just maybe, this isn't a great analogy. Which goes back to Bryson DeChambeau not being the best spokesman to talk about this legal case. Or to talk about, really, the case for live golf altogether. And if I'm Greg Norman, I'm telling Bryson, maybe don't do the sit-down interviews. Let's leave that to Phil. How about we leave that to people who are... How do I put this delicately, uh, psychologically advanced? But I can count cars. Oh, I know you can. I know you can, Bryson. It's, it's fine. Let's get to the Wyndham Championship. A league and a tournament that actually matters. The Wyndham starts tomorrow. And I've got three choices here. Three wagers, if you will. If you're into such things. A lot of people like wagering on golf, you know, if gambling were legal. Here are three choices I really like for the Wyndham Championship that will be accented by our guy Mike Houston at ECU. Put some money on it. It starts with Denny McCarthy. Great putter, which you have to be in order to have success at Sedgefield. Good value, 35-1 to 1 at what I'm looking at right now. And... He's played Sedgefield well. He's playing pretty well right now. Usually, if you're picking somebody to win a golf tournament and you want good value, it's got to be greater than 25 to 1, 20 to 1. 35 to 1 is pretty good, which is the same odds you get for Ty Hatton. Those are the two guys I like the most at Sedgefield. Ty Hatton. Put some money on it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's for Denny McCarthy. Ty Hatton was almost the 1B, Denny being a Virginia guy. Force me to give him the nod because I'm a good husband. 35 to 1. That's what you got for Ty Hatton. Put some money on it. Fifth in strokes gained. He's a top 30 player in the world. One of the highest ranked players in this tournament. I think he's 27th specifically in the world golf rankings. Then, looking at one of the front runners, it's not tremendous value, but among the favorites that I like, two of the three best odds in the tournament are Wake Forest, Demon Deacons, Will Zalatoris, and Webb Simpson. 
Zalatoris is my favorite choice among the favorites because he's so due. Talking about, what, like 12, 17 top 10 finishes he's had in his career so far without a PGA Tour win. He's trying to lock down a President's Cup spot if he hasn't already. I talk about Ty Hatton being pretty high ranked. Will Zalatoris is the highest ranked player in this tournament. And he was 10 under at Sedgefield a year ago. Coming off a really strong outing at the Rocket Mortgage last weekend. So among the favorites, Willie Z here, that's that's a guy I really like too at 18 to 1. Put some money on it. You will notice I didn't mention either Webb Simpson or Harold Varner among those that I like. Don't think it really sets up so well for Webb Simpson for the first time in a long time. And as for Harold Varner, I'd love to see it happen for Harold. He's an East Carolina Pirate after all. Just tough for me to think it's going to happen this time. But shout out to our friend John Dell, who referenced this show in the News and Record today. Here's what he wrote in the story. Harold Varner's a guy you need to watch. The 31-year-old former East Carolina standout who grew up in Gastonia after his family moved from Ohio when he was a youngster has yet to win on the PGA Tour. He's won on other pro tours, Asian Tour and European Tour, but is yet to break through on the big tour. He's a fan favorite that brings out the Pirate Purple all week long. And if Varner wins, radio talk show host Josh Graham, an ECU alum, might dedicate one of his three-hour radio shows on WSJS to the life and times of Varner. One three-hour show. <laughs> All of next week. is It's going to be Harold <laughs> Varner week. There you go. If Harold Varner wins this week. So I let's be clear. My rooting interest, Harold Varner this week. Also, J.T. Poston, because he's a local guy and came on the radio show. Always root for the guys who come on the show the week of the tournament for, for squeezing us in. But those are the three players I have circled multiple times. Denny McCarthy, Ty Hatton, Will Zalatoris. Put some money on it. How about some midweek weekly positivity? It's the middle of the show. It's the dead set middle of the week. So we want to feel good. Good. And if you got something to tell us that you feel good about, 336-777-1600, the more interaction, the better. On Twitter at WSJS Radio, that's next on The Drive. Hey, Triad, this is Rich Eisen. Catch me this evening at 6 for The Rich Eisen Show. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. It's halfway through the show. We're halfway through the week. It's hump day which means you might need a pick-me-up. A chance to tell us what's good. Or maybe it'll make you feel good if we do so. Weekly positivity in mere moments. If you want in, 336-777-1600. Since the breaking news came down in the last half hour that the NFL is going to be appealing Judge Robinson's decision to recommend a six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson, we've been trying to gather some more information. The NFL just put out a statement from its top PR guy that Roger Goodell is going to determine who will be hearing the appeal, probably meaning that he's not going to be the one himself hearing the appeal. If they recommend 
that more games be added to Deshaun's suspension, it is incredibly likely, given the statement the NFLPA put out Sunday, that they would support whatever decision Judge Robinson came to, this is going to end up in federal court, kind of like the Tom Brady case did. At the end, the NFL's probably going to win out, just like Roger Goodell did then, and the four-game suspension held up for Tom Brady, but it didn't hold up until a year later that he had to serve that suspension because it was getting hammered out in court, and the court eventually figured out that the NFL ultimately has the power to hand out whatever suspension it cares to, regardless of what Judge Robinson recommends or what the NFLPA or how the NFLPA feels about it. This is why it matters to Carolina Panthers fans. If this gets dragged out in federal court, which seems like it's likely, odds are a month and 10 days from now, Deshaun Watson's going to be playing in the Panthers opener against the Browns. Sean Watson's going to be able to play in Charlotte against Carolina, which is not good for the Carolina Panthers. So they were probably rooting for it. Hey, NFL, you don't need to appeal this. If the NFL chose not to appeal it, it's just a six-game suspension, and it starts week one against the Panthers. But now that this is going to be likely dragged out in federal court after this appeal, based on all the reaction I've seen to this in the last 30 minutes, <sighs> Probably going to get dragged out into the regular season. I think that's the likely scenario that we're looking at right now. Obviously a big story, and we'll continue to keep you updated as the facts come down during today's show. But now it's feel good. Middle of the week, it's time for Weekly Positivity. WD is going to be watching There Will Be Blood for the first time. That was going to be my good thing. That is a quote from There Will Be Blood. Not the most rewatchable of movies, but a good movie nonetheless. With a lot of good quotes. If you want in on today's show, just to tell us something good that's going on with you on this hump day, 336. 777-1600. It might have been your experience at North Wilkesboro Speedway last night. Or the Wyndham starting later this week. There are a lot of good things to pick between. But I'll start with the fact that there is NFL tackle football going to be played tomorrow in the Hall of Fame game. No Trevor Lawrence, no Travis Etienne, but NFL tackle football in the Hall of Fame game. And it's going to be an eventful Hall of Fame weekend because perhaps the greatest Panther ever, Sam Mills, is being inducted in his final year of eligibility. And that's good. In fact, one month from today exactly, 
is week one, the first Saturday of the college football season, where we've got NCAMT facing Central, the Aggie Eagle Classic in Charlotte, that's gonna be in the Panther Stadium, or App State hosting North Carolina, the Tar Heels' first ever trip up the mountain, or NC State getting ready to get upset by the folks in Greenville, these Carolina Pirates hosting NC State that day. So that's all really good. Will, tell me something good with you. Well, you stole my first two things, so there, that's not good. There are I plenty was, of good things. I was going to say, well, I get to watch There Will Be Blood tonight. Nope. I was going to say we finally get football tomorrow. <laughs> he said no. So I'm going to go with number three. Which is what? I got to go to Dario for the first time. Keep your voice down. But it's good. It is good. And it I felt a like a weirdo asking somebody in line what I should get. Yeah. Because I didn't have an adult, a seasoned vet, to go with me and tell me what I need to get from Dario's. So I just got the two hot dog combo, which was good. Was and it as good as Costco? Hmm. You got what at Dario's? I got a spicy grilled chicken sandwich. How do you not get the hot dog or the burger? Just like that, by getting a grilled spicy chicken sandwich. It's a weird choice to get from Dario's, but you said it was good. It was really good. I'm glad to hear that. Fries were good. Crinkle cut fries are good. They are. Oh, one more good thing that I have. I've been re-watching the old Spider-Man movies. It sounds weird to say old because they've done so many different iterations. I haven't watched any of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans. I didn't see No Way Home or whatever it's called. I watched the animatronic one that I thought was good. I forget what that one was called. Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. But I was talking about the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans. I don't... I pretend like Spider-Man 3 never happened. Kind of like Godfather 3. Because that I movie is... Spider-Man 3. That movie was terrible. Awful in almost every single way. Emo, Tobey Maguire, and all of it. But I watched episode, the, the first two parts of the trilogy. The Tobey Maguire trilogy. And... I got overwhelmed by the nostalgia of watching the second one. I enjoy the second Spider-Man. I remember playing the video games and all. I loved the second Spider-Man out of the two. One, don't get me wrong, gets the job done. But Spider-Man 2, which I watched last night, just so great. When you're talking about Doc Ock and his arms and, you know... James Franco wanting to kill Tobey Maguire and getting drunk at the bar. And Kirsten Dunst. Boy, she got it done. Yes, she did. Got it done. She Mary really Jane. Did. Big, big fan of her work. Spider-Man 2. They they regard it as one of the best superhero movies of all time. Spider-Man 2 more than Spider-Man 1. I didn't know that. They do. Okay. I'm a nerd. I know these things. I'm just, I'm interested in your perspective. What do the nerds consider to be the best Spider-Man movie? Is it Spider-Man 2 or one of these recent ones? It was Spider-Man 2, and probably most still say that, 
but I'm telling you, this No Way Home, people really put it up there as maybe one of the best superhero movies of all time with Spider-Man 2. So it's a toss-up. One day, I'll get back to it. Anything else good you'd like to share with us? No, I think that about covers it. And that's been a hump day edition of Weekly Positivity. Been getting a lot of messages about Vin Scully passing away, folks wanting to share stories. We talked about Wake Forest opening up its camp on Monday. Last week it was the Tar Heels, and we had Mac Brown on the show. Today it was NC State opened up its camp today with a lot of expectations. I can't remember. I feel pretty confident saying that these are the most expectations that have ever been put before a Wake Forest football team going into the season. The AP poll's not out yet, but it would be an outright crime if the Deeks aren't ranked in the top 25. So I imagine, I, I feel pretty confident saying that the Deeks are going to be ranked for just the second time ever in the preseason poll. That means you have a lot of hype and historic hype behind you, but I can't remember the last time NC State had this much hype behind them. Talking about an ACC preseason player of the year and 44 ACC voters saying you're going to win the Atlantic division. Sure, Clemson had more, but a lot of people are backing you, backing the pack. Does it feel a little bit like Carolina last year for you? Maybe just a little oh, bit a lesser lot. version? Oh, no, no. It feels a lot like that. Just because you have a preseason player of the year who I don't think deserves it. With all due respect to Devin Leary. Can you say that? Can you say someone doesn't deserve it and then say with all due respect? I just did. So that's what I'm that's how I feel in my heart. That's what I'm gonna say. Uh I, I don't think Wake I don't think NC State should have gotten that many first place votes, or at least not as many as Wake Forest did. As somebody who watches all of them play and has seen them all in person and was at the NC State Wake Forest game and in many of these games that Wake Forest has won four of the last five years. Wake Forest has won against NC State in that series. So I, I do see some similarities. The one difference being that State's defense looks really stout and Carolina's last year was not. This year, Carolina's defense is going to be really good in, in a way that nobody's talking about. Like I just saw some video that Inside Carolina put up of Travis Shaw. He was moving as a huge kid from Grimsley High, the best Carolina recruit that they've had in a long time over there. But State's defense, Peyton Wilson's back on the practice field. I read a quote from Jonas Pope, who covers the team for the Raleigh News and Observer, where Peyton Wilson said he was tearing up as he went to the practice field today because he had not been able to practice for such a long time with this team. He got hurt two games into the season last year. He was the leading tackler the year before that and wasn't really able to participate in much in the spring. So the pack with a lot of expectations. We'll see how it shakes out. Check this out. We're on at five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with the Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Now back to the drive with Josh Graham. Adam Gold is going to join us in about five minutes. Some more thoughts on Vin Scully, though. Passing away at 
94 years old yesterday. There's never going to be another Vin Scully. I hope people understand this. If you listen to him, you probably understood he was a poet that just so happened to be a baseball announcer. How many other guys do you feel that way about when you're watching a game? We had some of those back in the day. It was Vin and Dick Emberg and Keith Jackson and the simplicity of listening to a Pat Summerall game, how judicious he was with the words that he would use and how willing he was just to lay out. I think about Doc Emmerich, who's one of my favorite announcers. Two of my favorites growing up were Vin Scully and Doc Emmerich. And what struck me today is how many generations of people said that they grew up with Vin Scully being their favorite baseball announcer. 67 years he was the voice of the Dodgers. And it wasn't just baseball. He did the Dwight Clark game. Did a number of NFL games. And I think he even worked with John Madden a little bit in the booth. And he did golf on TBS. He did a little bit of everything. But he's the type of guy who would work Shakespeare into his broadcast. Very Skip Skip Prosser-esque. Do guys even, do kids in high school even read Shakespeare anymore? Do kids read books at all? (laughs) He's the type that would work that stuff into broadcast. It's very old school, but it was effective even just five or six years ago. And he was so quiet when he broadcasted games. Or very controlled is probably a better word for it. I don't know if quiet's the right word. He was controlled. He wasn't bashful. And he was a tremendous listener. Great interviewer. Great understanding of when to lay out. These are skills that I don't think are in style anymore. Among the top play-by-play guys you hear, when you think of Mike Breen, you think of bang! And you think of some of these other announcers, you think of catchphrases. And that's not who Vin Scully was at all. I was trying to think of my favorite Vin Scully call today. And what I kept going back to was his call of the 715th home run by Hank Aaron. And rather than play it for you, I'll just describe it because the reason that call was so great was not because of what Vin said. It was because of what he didn't say. Vince Gully understood that that was the home run. That was perhaps the seismic sporting happening of the 1970s. So when he hit that home run, he stepped away from the microphone. And he apparently got up out of his chair, according to people who were in the booth, and went and got like a refill on his coffee or whatever he was drinking that day. Because he didn't say another word for a minute and 10 or a minute and 20 seconds, which can feel like an eternity on television. But what are you going to say? Oh, it's gone or, or that's 715 or all these things. Today, that's what the announcer would do. But Vin understood everyone already knew that. Let the sounds and the pictures tell the story. Few were better than Vin at that. And few were better at telling stories than Vin. Vin was definitely the best at that too. So I don't think we'll ever see another Vin Scully. And if you want to think about that in the most practical of terms, 
Again, he might be the most beloved Dodger not named Jackie Robinson. Like, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Dodger Stadium is located on 1000 Vince Scully Avenue. The stadium, the, the road the stadium resides at, is named after the broadcaster. And nobody is calling games for 67 years again. That's not happening. Like, when he started broadcasting games, it was in Brooklyn, and Jackie Robinson was playing first base. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he was ice skating with Jackie Robinson. Like, find me the big league team today, or the pro sports team in general, major sports team that's going to hire a 21-year-old redheaded kid to broadcast their games. Obviously, times have changed. I don't think a network executive would sign off on someone with a style like Vin Scully today. I don't think kids who are coming up doing the broadcasting aspire to do a broadcasting style that's as wholesome, that's as, um, you know, that 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 that's as deflecting as Vin's style was. And obviously, like, I just don't think you can have that type of impact anymore that Vin did with people putting transistor radios underneath their pillow and the entire deal. So I, it, I, I think it's a fact. I don't even think it's an opinion that there's never going to be another Vin Scully. Adam Gold now joins us. You could listen to the Adam Gold Show before we come on here. As a lover of baseball, AG, and also a Mets fan who probably was a teenager when Scully called Mookie Wilson's ground ball through the legs of Buckner in 86, what does Vin Bless Scully you. mean to you personally? <laughs> Uh, Scully's the gold standard. He's the best ever. Um, I was in my 20s when the ground ball gets by Buckner. Uh, I was a junior, junior at the University of Maryland, fall of 86. Um, I don't know that anybody, that nobody will ever do it like Scully again because bell bottoms came back. So I... <laughs> I would have to say that there is a, there is room for that. It's old school, but old school comes back. Um, I think a guy like John Miller, who is what? 30 years, his junior John Miller does games for the giants. Very much like Vin Scully did games for the Dodgers. I still think of him as the um, voice of the Orioles though. John, Miller. I agree with you. And when I was working in Baltimore, Miller was there and Miller does, by the way, a spitting image impersonation of Scully. So I brought that up earlier, and I Which, think you can uh, I think you can find on YouTube where he told the story talking about Vin's impact, where he went to Tokyo, I think the Giants or the Orioles, it, would have, it must have been the Orioles when Cal Ripken was on the team and he was the attraction. They played the Tokyo Giants, which is in Japan, the equivalent to the New York Yankees out that way. And yep. the announcer... Like he he heard of this announcer that was seen to be like the best baseball announcer out there, and John Miller said it sounded like a Vin Scully knockoff. The guy was doing a Vin Scully impression, yeah. but in ja in Japanese, like that style of broadcasting was so influential it transcended language. And and Miller, by the way, speaks Japanese and can do Vin Scully in Japanese. Yes, yes. It's mind-boggling. Like, Miller, to me, is the closest that we have to Scully. And Scully, I mean, obviously, got to start very young. Got to start as a 20-year-old. Red Barber hired him 
to do a football game. We did a college football game at Fenway Park. It was Boston University playing against somebody. Um, but that was his first job, I believe, in 1950. Uh, he, I think he was, I don't know, he was eight, 18, whatever it was, however old he was when he did it. Um, maybe it was a little bit later. And, yeah, and then he got hired to do um, Brooklyn Dodgers games. Um, I mean, I don't know if he's, other than Jackie Robinson, if he's the most beloved Dodger. He's, I mean, he's worked 67 years for the Dodgers. So, I mean, you have a, a, a long time to leave your – an indelible mark across, you know, three or four generations. Um, yeah. I mean, Koufax well, is on, obviously on a very short list uh, of that. And those two are linked for obvious reasons, but I mean, Scur- Scully left his mark across all sports. You know, he did one of the most famous football plays. You know, I, I played it today, the catch that was Vin Scully's play by play call. Um, he did the masters. He did, did golf for NBC worked with Lee Trevino in the booth. Uh, Scully was, he transcended everything by the way. Um, and by, he worked alone by the way. Apparently this is top notch producing WD has found Will Dalton's found the John Miller story, which includes the impression of John Miller doing Japanese. Would you like to hear that? I, I, always. All right, let's play that sound. About two years ago, I was in, in Japan and had a chance to hear the great legendary broadcaster of the Tokyo Giants, Genshiro Asami. Yeah. Genshiro. You know him, but, you know, like myself, you had never heard him. So now I'm in Tokyo. I flip on the set to hear Genshiro Asami with great expectation and excitement. And then it put me off a little bit because he was doing Scully. There I am in Tokyo. There's the voice of the Tokyo Giants saying... Watashiwa Karakuen Stadium, Niorimas. Hajime Mashte Dozirushka Lo, Bortu. It was kind of a stand. You know, a true story, though. I, I, did, that, I did that little bit on television with, with Roy Firestone, good, good friend of yours. And, you know, the, and there was Vinny and Genshiro Asami, blah, blah, blah. Two days later, I'm in Oakland, batting practice before the game. I walk out on the field, and standing behind the batting cage is Genshiro Asami, the real guy. I walk up to him. He remembers me. I mean, he, he really exists. I, we shake hands, and how you doing, so on and so forth. I said, you know, you're not going to believe this asami sign. It's the craziest coincidence. Two days ago, I'm on television, and I do this little, this little joke about you, and he says, oh, yes, Vin Scurry. Very funny. <laughs> he saw it. What are the odds of that? That's it's just outstanding stuff. Um, that story there from John Miller talking about Vin Scully. Miller's Miller's uh, the best. I told a story about Chuck Thompson today. I don't know. Oh yeah, uh, the legendary probably, voice uh, of the Orioles way back when. Yeah, and the Colts. And I used to do a bit for um, WBAL's. Ravens pregame coverage the first year they moved to Raleigh, the move moved to Raleigh, moved to Baltimore. WBAL didn't even have the rights to the Ravens, but they still did a kickoff show, a countdown, a kickoff show. And I did a segment called Out of Bounds, which was just supposed to be an offbeat look at something before the game. And I had no real angle when the Ravens were supposed to play the 49ers. Uh, so I just simulated a game playing Stratomatic football. Hmm. 
and I took a handful of the highlights um, and I went over to Chuck Thompson's house. Uh, Chuck was doing games for the Orioles at like you know Sunday games when Miller was gone doing national broadcast. Chuck Thompson would fill in. And so I got to know Chuck a little bit. So I called him and I said, hey, here's what I want to do. Would you pretend to do play-by-play of, a, of this fictitious game? And he goes, sure. So he invites me over to his house. I get there at about 9.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. And he's in his bathrobe, pajama bottoms, uh, drinking a cup of coffee. And we're sitting at his kitchen table. I mean, just middle school, middle school, middle you know, um, middle-class home in suburban Baltimore, nothing special at all. We're sitting at his kitchen table and I give him a microphone and a tape deck and he rips off the play-by-play highlights that I give him that I scripted for him that he sort of ad-libbed. He could not have been nicer. I was there for about 30 minutes. He did about seven or eight highlights and I did a recap of a game that was simply Stratomatic football uh, as a simulated game. And Chuck was amazing amazing doing it he even worked in uh, a go to war miss agnes oh wow because he did he did colts games for so long yeah uh I, I don't think he dropped an ain't the beer cold but uh he dropped in a go to war miss agnes chuck thompson was great uh those voices i don't most of them don't exist anymore because broadcasting has become more of a show yes at times for many as opposed to a craft. Um, but I think if you can do it the way these guys did it, then I think the craft primarily is in college now, mm-hmm. where the voices stick around longer and you, uh, you connect earlier and stay longer. Um, and, uh, and also in, in the pro game, almost everything is on TV these days. So you don't have necessarily legendary great radio voices. Uh, most of these people are training to be on TV. Yeah. Uh, and they go to TV where more money is, which I get. Uh, Josh, you and I blew that a long time ago. Why did we go into radio? <laughs> yeah, it's a, great, uh, it's a great question. Adam Gold, he's uh, with us here from the Adam Gold Show on Twitter at Fan. You're a lover of golf, so to cheer you up, as opposed to talking where we went wrong in our careers, um, I, the two guys that I have circled for the Wyndham Championship this week are both top five in a category that I think really matters at Sedgefield, and that is strokes gained by putting. And Denny McCarthy's top five in that, as is Ty Hatton, who's the 27th-ranked player in the world, one of the higher-ranked players in this tournament. The highest rank is a Wake Forest guy. We know him, Will Zalatoris, who's competing this week. I really like Hatton's chances and McCarthy's chances. Who do you like and why at the Wyndham? Um, I like Billy Horschel at the Wyndham. Maybe I'm just rooting for him because uh, he was kind enough to come on the show yesterday. Um, Yeah, I I almost picked JT Poston as a result. Almost did that. Uh, Look, I'm not sure that it's a putting, that it's a putter's golf course. Uh, I'm not sure it necessarily favors anybody. I think it favors somebody who's in play. I think somebody who is uh, in the fairway, I think it's, it favors them. Um, I, anybody, Tony Finau is not a great putter, but all you got to do is have a good putting week and you can be fine. Sergio Garcia has done really well at Wyndham in, his, in the past. Uh, he's not a great putter at all. 
Um, Webb Simpson won there without being a great putter. Uh, I think he, I think it's a ball strikers golf course. I think Horschel is a great ball striker. Um, Zalatoris a great ball striker. So those guys, I think, plus not to mention that Zalatoris is long as heck. So these guys should have an advantage. But um, I'm hoping Billy Horschel plays well. I'd like to see him get into the top ten of the Comcast. I'd like to see guys who have uh, really put their necks on the line for the PGA Tour be rewarded. I mean, I love Rory either way. I, that's, that's part of the reason that I really wanted him to win the Open Championship was because of everything he has meant to the Tour this year. I think Horschel has been right behind Rory, just like Justin Thomas has. Um, and now you have the other specter of the, of the lawsuit where these guys are suing the PGA Tour. Wait a second, you've been bad-mouthing the PGA Tour uh, for four months. Please tell me, please tell me you listen to Bryson DeChambeau's interview last night that aired. Uh, I, I didn't listen to the whole interview. I listened to clips of it. It's unbelievable Look, that time... he's being painted to be like talking about science. Like this guy's like, oh, he can count cards if he wants to. Like if he wants to go to Vegas and bankrupt a casino, beefy Bryson's your guy. No, no. Br- Bryson, look, Br- Bryson DeChambeau does have, I mean, the way he looks at science and golf, it's not him doing that. It's like no. he has a, he's, he's getting information. Yes. But Bryson DeChambeau ain't a smart guy. No. He's the opposite of a smart guy. Oh, don't, don't and he's got he's got the great analogies though. Like he should do sports radio comparing it to pizza shops across the, the sea. Well, I mean, yeah, I, it, 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 yeah, I guess the players are consumers. That's right. Yes, the players are the equivalent of it's consumers. Just, Find me the pizza joint that might pay you four hundred and fifteen million dollars in purses, and I would love to go to that pizza shop. I don't think Mario's Pizza down the road has that. No, nah, you know, if they did, we'd all go there, and we would never go back to the PGA Tour. Look, my, my whole argument has been nobody. This is why I don't understand the antitrust. I don't understand the monopoly. Uh, I think those things are misplaced. Nobody said that Bryson DeChambeau can't go play the Live Tour. Nobody did. Nobody said that Dustin Johnson can't go play it. Go, by all means, go play it. That's fine. Knock yourselves out. The, but all we're saying, all the PGA Tour is saying, sorry, I'm, I'm on the PGA Tour side here. All I am too. All the PGA Tour is saying is that you can't come back and play this tour. Okay. You made the choice. You chose money. And then you got there and you realized that, oh, wait, without the PGA Tour, I can't get world rankings points. Therefore, my access to major championships is limited. I, like, the majors don't even have to change anything. They don't have to change a thing about their requirements. These players are going to fall out of the world rankings because they're at least a year away from getting world ranking points from the official uh, list, even if they're approved, it's not until 2024 that they'll even qualify for this. So, I mean, the, the majors will take care of themselves. Now they're realizing it. Plus, they're going to have to play more golf because they have to play the live events. They're under contract to play those. Uh, th- th- this has, they, they made a calculated uh, – they took a calculated risk, and they're going to lose on the on, – they're going to lose out to the most important golf tournaments. Now that might not matter. And that's fine. They're going to be great financially. The PGA tour is not even taking their money. The PGA tour is going to give them their FedEx cup money based on where they would finish in the FedEx cup uh, standings. And some of these guys are going to, you know, they're not going to get that much money because they weren't that far up the rankings. There's a couple of guys right now are in the top 30 that 
probably will fall out by the time we get to the uh, tour championship, uh, but they're still going to get a substantial check. Uh, so they're not even, it's not even a money play. Uh, I don't even know what these, only three of the guys are trying to play the events. Um, but this has been, you know, they took the money. All right, that's good. Go enjoy the money. That's why you did it. Nobody would have done it if the money was normal. If they offered Dustin Johnson $20 million to go play live this year, he wouldn't have done it. He did it because it was $150 million, no, yeah. not 20 He wouldn't have done it for 20 no, 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 no. Mickelson wouldn't have done it for 30 Like, th- there's just no way they would have done that. This was entirely a money play. And, of course, Charles Howell uh, said this has nothing to do with money. I wasn't, Greg Norman was my idol. That's it. Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Just get out of here with that. Just, Horschel said yesterday, I would have had much more respect for these guys if they had just said, I did it for the money. Exactly. Because that's why they did it. And that's fine. Like, I mean, again, if they were into sports radio, you and I might be hosting uh, the, uh, the Live Golf special. Yeah, that's maybe one day. Adam Gold, you're the man. We'll look forward to listening to you tomorrow. Thanks for the time. All right, Beth.